I was having a conversation with one of our members this week, Robert, and uh, they made the offhand comment. They said, well, you know, at First Baptist, we are Jesus people. I like that, don't you? I like it. I, you said I like it long it. enough, we've got it in us, though. Yeah, we are Jesus people. <laughs> we are Jesus people. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. You know, when I sing that song, Jesus paid it all, I just stand before God and know I don't have to hide anything. I don't have to hide anything. I'm an open book to him. He knows exactly who I am. Jesus paid it all for me. And I can stand in confidence before God knowing that I am white as snow. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what Christ did for me on the cross. At First Baptist, we are not enemies of the cross. We embrace the cross. We are friends of the cross. We cherish the cross because it was there that Jesus died to pay the price for our sin. And it is in that context, in that context of Jesus, the one and all, sufficient one, Lord of glory, heaven and earth, King of kings, Lord of lords, every knee bowing, every tongue confessing, that Paul comes to the fourth chapter to the conclusion of his letter, which is where I am today, Philippians chapter 4, and for the next three Sundays today and the next two, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. Next week, we're going to have that verse embedded in there. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And then the final week, uh, that God is all the resources that we need. So we are wrapping up Philippians with joy and talking today about guarding our hearts. A, you'll recognize that phrase, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, which is in the text today. So guard your heart. There's some heart disease out there, some spiritual heart disease. It's in your family history. You may have inherited from your mother or your father or some grandparents or some folks that are dear to you some spiritual heart disease. When I go to the physician, they want to know, have you got any heart disease in your family? Because my cholesterol is always high. And sure enough, my grandfather died of a heart attack and my father died of heart failure. And so they're concerned about me. and They want to make sure they check my blood and make sure that I'm okay because I could have a tendency to have heart disease. And you could have a tendency to have heart disease, spiritual heart disease. And you need to own up to it and, and be honest about it and say, Lord, guard my heart and my mind so that I can be all you want me to be. And Paul's going to address that as we start in verse 2 of Philippians chapter 4, if you've got your Bibles. The Scripture says here, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes? And I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. I love how Paul starts this out. I can imagine the first reading of the, of the letter. Can you? Don't you know it was a big deal to get a letter from the Apostle Paul 
The church at Philippi is waiting. The word has gotten out. They are excited. They want to come together and hear what Paul has to say to them. They gather as a church, maybe in a house, maybe in a rented space, and the reader sits in the middle, and they all pack around. They want to hear every word the reader says. It is a powerful moment for them. And I believe it's sort of an interactive kind of moment as they hear the reading for the first time, this letter that is addressed to them. And there are oohs and there are ahs and there are comments in the group and somebody's amening as Paul writes this incredible letter to them. It is a moment of unity in the church. The arrival of the letter, a rare and exciting event. Now, to be mentioned by name in a letter of the Apostle Paul is the closest thing in this life to immortality. You want your name in the letter, all right? Euodia hears her name. She doesn't know it's going to be there. And she lets out a gasp. And then she hears what's said about her. And she turns up her palms and she shrugs and she says, well, <laughs> got me. Syndicate hears the letter and she lets out a little scream too, puts her hands over her face. Embarrassed, but just a little bit glad he remembered her. Clement, here's his name. And he jumps up and he pumps his fist and says, that's my man. Well, what about the rest of the co-workers? I mean, they're waiting for their names too, right? And Paul says, and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life, but not in this letter. <laughs> they didn't make the cut. They didn't get in the letter. I imagine there was a little disappointment about it, you know. You love to hear your name read. Maybe they listened intently to the end of the letter, hoping they'd get in there, but they didn't. Euodia and Syntyche. I plead with you. I beg with you. They are prominent in this church. Everybody knows them. They are likely horrified and mortified that they are mentioned in this way that their conflict has reached the ears of the apostle chained in Rome and maybe one of them is going through the list of friends they know who have visited Rome and thinking how in the world did Paul know about this and thinking I'm going to talk to Epaphroditus or Timothy, or whoever spilled the beans about our conflict. Because this is something that he knows about this. And Paul turns immediately in these closing verses to the great value of unity. And the first thing that guards your heart is peace. So make peace a great priority. Put it right there at the top of the things you want to do. If you're going to have your heart right, 
If you're going the way God wants you to, if you want to live at the maximum that you can live, make peace a great priority. Jesus made it a great priority. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peace was a high priority for Jesus. It's a high priority for the Apostle Paul. He wants these folks to live in peace so so they will not endanger their hearts because the conflict endangers their hearts. These women are important to him. He wants them to find common ground in the Lord. He just told them, stand firm in the Lord. Jesus Christ is king. People from a great diversity of nations, tongues, tribes, and cultures come together in the church of Jesus Christ, and they are one in Christ. They live in harmony together, and these two ladies can get along together. Make peace a priority. It's not a heresy that divides Euodia and Syntyche. Paul would have mentioned it if one of them had fallen into heresy, if they were teaching things that were not true or were not consistent with the Word of God. We'd have heard about that. If one of these ladies had fallen into scandalous sin, into moral failure, Paul would have mentioned it. He does in other places. That's not here. No theological problem, no moral problem is mentioned here. In fact, the thing that divides Euodia and Syntyche is so trivial that Paul decides to give it no space in his letter. He doesn't even tell us what the conflict is about. He just says, I plead with you, Euodia. I please not above begging. I beg you, for the sake of the church, here's something that doesn't rank high enough in the apostle's mind to even be mentioned in his letter that threatens to divide this church. What could it be? What could it be? It's something that looms large in the minds of these ladies. I tell you, brothers and sisters, the trivial is what what often divides our families and our churches. Things that are not a priority to God, they are not matters of heresy or moral failure. And yet, after 41 years of pastoring the churches of Jesus Christ through these decades, I know it to be a reality. It's absolutely true. Sometimes we hang on to things that are matters of opinion and culture and tradition so dearly, so tightly, that we will surrender the unity of the church of Jesus Christ over these issues. Euodia and Syntyche are doing this very thing. There is something that's a matter of opinion or personal taste that has come into their, into their relationship and has divided them, and not only them, it's now become an issue in the church. Brothers and sisters, this ought not to be. We don't all have to be Democrats or Republicans. We come from a huge array of backgrounds, training, and upbringing. We have different personalities. Some of us are very prophetic. We see right and wrong and no gray. Some of us are just full of mercy, and we want everybody to get along and love each other, and that's how we approach the work. And we do so because God has gifted us. He has created us and made us for this purpose in the body. And sometimes even our giftedness begins to give conflicts in the body and in our families, and these things cannot be. We can have unity even though we have disagreements about things. We can have unity if we have the mind of Christ. I plead with you, 
to have the mind of Christ, to be of the same mind. Now, when I thought about that, it occurs to me that having the mind of Christ is not about the trivial things, not about the differences of opinion, not about whether your favorite color is red or blue. And I served a church one time that nearly split over the color of the bathrooms. <laughs> you know, it was part of the legend in the church. They said, yeah, we had a big fight. Some people left over. They wanted the bathrooms red or I don't know what color. If you have the same mind in the Lord, your mind is focused on the things that really matter, the things that are essential in the body of believers. That's where your mind is and your heart is. That's why it's so absolutely important for every person in the body to discipline himself, to be focused on Christ and the gospel, that that is really the center of who you are, of what you want to accomplish of your passion and your heart, that you are loving Jesus with all your, all your heart and, and you're seeking to love your neighbor as yourself and to be focused upon these great eternal truths, these essentials in the body of believers. These are the things that unite us. And to put it way up there as a priority, make peace the highest priority. Are there things that we cannot Surrender on? Absolutely. It is not peace at any price. We know that. We have convictions. We are Jesus' people. Jesus is the touchstone of our faith and of our doctrine. And so we go to him and we're seeking to be like him and we are seeking to follow him. We are seeking to be his disciples. And that's non-negotiable. We can't negotiate about that. But for the many things, the long list of things that are matters of opinion. We are to have the mind of Christ, focus on the things that matter to him and are eternal. Paul says, help these women. Help these women. Now, he's speaking to his true companion. He says, yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women. You say, well, who's the true companion? Nobody knows. The church at Philippi knew, I'm sure. The ones who were gathered around the reading of the first the, the, the letter for the first time, they knew who the true companion was. But we don't know. There have been all kinds of guesses. I don't know who the true companion is, but I know this. Paul the Apostle designates somebody to help with making peace. Peace is not easy to make. Are you aware of that? Peace does not come just naturally. We are by nature children of wrath. That's who we are. We want our way. It's the right way. We are by nature. That's our nature, children of wrath. Peacemaking doesn't come easy, even within a marriage and a family, a church or community. But Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. You want to be blessed? Here's a way to be blessed. Get in on a blessing. Be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the children of God. Why would they call the peacemakers the children of God? Because God so valued peace between you and him 
that he sent his one and only son Jesus to die on the cross and be our peace. He himself is our peace who tore down the dividing wall between us and God and us and one another. God made peace with you through Jesus Christ, his son. What price are you willing to pay to make peace with a brother or sister, a parent or child or spouse? Make peace a priority. Value it highly. Their names are written in the book of life, he says here. That's the immortality of it. Paul does not have access to the book of life. He hasn't been to heaven to see it, would be my supposition. He's talking about the book of life. It is mentioned in a number of other places in the Bible. And he believes that he knows his co-workers well enough that he knows them to be people of faith, Jesus' people, who have trusted Christ as Savior, and their names are in the book of life. My father told me once, when you preach a funeral, don't preach those people into heaven that have died. He said, you got to be careful about that. And it's true. Sometimes preachers are called upon to do funerals for a whole array of folks. And you never want to say things that are not true, that are patently untrue about the person who has died. But I'm like Paul here when I have labored with somebody in the gospel and we have served the Lord together and I have heard their testimony and seen their heart. I have confidence in saying their names are written in the book of life. Their names are in the book of life. I love that. And I believe it binds us together in Christ. Paul then says, rejoice in the Lord always. This is verse 4. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Remember that, okay? The Lord is near. If you're afraid, if you're troubled, if you're discouraged, the Lord is near. It doesn't just mean that he's going to come back soon. It means that he's as close as your breath. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which, what? Transcends understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There is so much to say about this clear instruction. Insist on joy. If you're going to be like the apostle, insist on joy. Jesus says, I want my joy to be in you and your joy to be full. When Jesus went to the cross, the scripture says, it was for the joy that he went to the cross, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. God intends for you to be a person of joy. Now, you may be responding and saying, well, I'm just not constituted that way, you know. Listen, Paul wouldn't be requiring rejoicing if it wasn't possible for you, my brother, and you, my sister, to do it. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. 
It belongs in everybody's life, in everybody's vocabulary, in everybody's mind, and everybody's heart insists on joy. He's laying this out because this is the way he lives his life. It's his testimony. It's his experience. These Philippians know better than anybody how the apostle lived in joy because they saw him get beat up. He was beaten. He was tied to the stake and whipped 39 times and thrown into the deepest dungeon with his feet in the stocks. He and Silas locked up in the darkest place in that prison. And what's coming out of that prison at midnight? They're singing. Jesus paid it all. It's their song. Do you think the jailer ever forgot it? Do you think the the Philippian church ever forgot the song the prisoners and the jailers heard in the middle of the night from the two fellows they had beaten within an inch of their life? Hey, it's easy for you to sing when everything's going your way and you're driving down the highway and you just made a million bucks. And things are going so well for you, and you just want to burst into song. But you know what? When God loves to hear you sing, when you've been beat up and knocked down and thrown in the deepest, darkest dungeon, there's something about the song that arises in the middle of the night that comes from your heart because you want it to, and you will it to and you somehow compress what's left of the energy and volition of your heart into words and press them out of your chest and sing them to the Lord. There's something about that effort that blesses the Lord. And when he hears that song, he sends the earthquake angel. He knocks the doors open. He makes the chains fall off. There's something about that song in the middle of the night where there's freedom and deliverance and power. Something about that song in the middle of your trouble unleashes the presence of God so powerfully in you. Can you sing it? Can you, can you rejoice? Is it in you? When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed when you are discouraged thinking all is lost count your many blessings name them one by one and it will surprise you what the Lord has done I was mully-grubbing this week I had to drive 500 miles on Thursday. I didn't like it. I'm just being honest. I'm confessing to you. I had to go to a meeting. It was a long ways away. Then I went to the prison way up there in central Louisiana. It was a 16-hour day on the road for me, and I was driving along by myself, trying to occupy my time and feeling sorry for myself and self-pity. And my car broke into this green pasture on both sides with pine trees all around and a bayou going through the middle. And God ordered at that very moment one of those beautiful waterfowl with a four-foot wingspan to cut right across my path so that I watched him soar from right to left all the way across the horizon of my vision. 
And when I saw that beautiful bird soar in front of me, I realized God's getting my attention. I need to start counting my blessings. You know, you don't see one of those beautiful waterfowl every day, and I need to be happy about it. And lo and behold, in a minute, I saw a hawk sitting over me, and my car drove under, and I looked up and said, thank you, God, for showing me that hawk. The world all of a sudden was full of color and life, uh, deep blues and wonderful greens, and, and God was showing to me that he has a beautiful place where he's planted me in my life, and I need to give him praise. Every minute, every day, always rejoice in the Lord. Always do it, always do it, always. Do it, do it now. Do it in the, in the context of your trouble, of your suffering and your pain. If you don't watch out, your pain will turn you into a resentful, self-centered person. In order to combat that, to fight that worry and that self-centeredness and that resentment, you've got to give praise in the middle of your trouble. You have to. It changes things to do so. You know, some of you have beautiful smiles already right now. I love the smile Robert's got. Doesn't he have a great smile? I'm telling you. The man can smile. Augustine, too. If you've seen Augustine smile, this man has a great smile. And Michelle and Lori, I look up here and they're smiling and it cheers my heart. Have you tried your smile on yet? Can you smile? Can you? Hey, let it break across your face. Go ahead and pull those muscles so that you smile. Show a little teeth there, all right? <laughs> hey, be honest. When you smile, doesn't it change something about your disposition, your attitude, the way you see the world, the way you feel in this moment? Doesn't it? Don't we know this is true? Don't we know that the arms open and the hug that is given somehow opens up the heart and life and soul and spirit? Don't we know that the smile that breaks across our face not only changes how we feel but how others feel about us? Doesn't it change the dynamic of our relationship? I tell you what's beautiful. After 41 years... To come home to the lady you love. And she's got a smile for you. Thank you, honey. It blesses my life. I'm not talking about something that is unattainable or inaccessible to you because of how you're made or your constitution. I'm talking about something that is essential. If you are to guard your heart, you must do this. You've got to guard your heart. You don't want to turn into that bitter, resentful person. You said so yourself. How many times have you said, I don't want to become like that? You've got to fight the anxiety and the worry and the resentment with rejoicing. You have to. It's how you do it. It's what counterbalances the trouble in life is to be able to say, God, in the middle of my trouble, I give you praise and I rejoice. And it literally changes things. So Paul says in these last verses, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
whatever is excellent or praiseworthy. Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Insist on joy and think on these things. Okay, this is not an old Jedi mind trick, all right? This is way before George Lucas and Star Wars. This is God saying to us, you want to change the context of your life, your feelings, your attitudes? Change what you allow your mind to focus on. Now, this is a personal word. He's talking to the church at Philippi, but he's talking to you as well, and I, I want you to take it personally. I want you to hear these words for yourself, for you, whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Fill your mind with this. Because, brothers and sisters, it is so easy in a world full of words to focus on the dark, the troubled, the difficult, the ugly, the dishonorable. It is so easy to be captured by these things. And it is a personal word as well as a possible word. It's possible for you to do this. You can change what your mind is focusing on. You have the power. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got the Word of God. You can change from the stuff that captures you in the dead of night and in the early morning and in the middle of your workday. You can change what captures your mind. You can stop going around in that little rat race, in that merry-go-round of discouragement, despair, and fear of failure, and you can get off that merry-go-round as you think about the things that are true and good and pure and right and noble. It is a practical word for you. It's not only possible, it's practical. Because when you are full of the dark thoughts, when you are full of the ugly and the awful, it affects the people that love you the most. It hurts your relationships. It bruises those connections that you have with people, and they are precious to you. Think what it does to find you in the doldrums all the time. Always be looking into that dark place. I challenge you. Think on these things. Aunt Monty would be the person that our family would want to emulate. She died at 92 suddenly, and we all still grieve the loss of Aunt Monty. I was sitting beside her in her living room in that little rocking chair talking to her, and she turned to me and said, David, Jesus is my best friend. I talk to him all day long. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests, present your requests to God. The alternative to you always being anxious, always being overwrought, always being a person of worry, 
is prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Presenting your requests to God. Rolling the burdens on your shoulders, literally thinking about it, thinking, God, I'm taking these burdens that are on my shoulders and I'm rolling them over to you in prayer. I'm saying, Lord, this is my concern. Here it is, and I'm laying it at your feet. Cast all your burdens on him, the scripture says, because he cares for you. And you got to do it almost physically. And you don't do it just once, you do it every day. And every time you feel overburdened, every time life is beating you down, you take your burdens and you go with your prayers and petitions with thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, I know you love me. And here are the longings of my heart. Here are the concerns of my life. Aunt Monty lived with a smile. She had a brightness about her personality. Her eyes were bright. Everybody loved to be around her right up till the day she died because she had this capacity to think about the good things and in prayer give all the stuff to God and trust him with it this will guard your heart and your mind let's pray together somebody here just needs to roll those burdens right now just start rolling just start saying Lord here I am make sure you do your petition and prayer with thanksgiving thanking God for all the good things he's done in you taking notice of them in your family in your circumstances all around you the gift of life itself Lord thank you for all the good things you do somebody here needs to step out for the first time and trust Jesus as Savior that's what you need to do and in a moment we're going to have this time of response where you can do that just come and tell one of our prayer counselors I want Christ in my life Maybe you need to be baptized. You can come and tell them, I want to be baptized, following Jesus publicly, identifying with his church, being part of his people. Maybe you need to pray with somebody. Lord, do your work in us, we pray. Give us soft hearts. Send your Holy Spirit to everybody in the room. Capture our minds and our thoughts. Bring us, bring us right back to you in this moment of time. Help us to deal with our relationship with you, what you desire and long for in our life, and how things are going. God, get our attention and capture our being. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.